Hello, and welcome to Talking Opinions. I am Anthony Livingston Hall. On January 15, the London Guardian published an article on the cancellation of this year's World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Its headline seemed ripped from the onion, but it hints at why I found this article so interesting. It read, So, no one's going to Davos. Our guide to the big issues that won't be tackled. We bring you not the World Economic Forum, where monetary hawks fly and bankers explain why. China is all right, really. <laughs> End quote. More to the point, this article distilled, in mocking fashion, why COVID was probably the best thing that could have happened to this forum. This is the second consecutive year the pandemic has forced organizers to cancel it. And so, as a public service, the Guardian listed topics with summaries of panel discussions. No one at Davos would ever be caught dead discussing. To give you a sense of the article, here are my own mocking summaries on just three of those topics. On inequality after COVID-19, we had a panel discussion on how this pandemic has created vaccine billionaires who can show opioid manufacturers how to get the whole world hooked on your drug without having law enforcement officials treat you like a Colombian drug lord. On inflation, we have a panel discussion on how surging gas prices and disruption to supply chains affirm the economic truism about the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. And on China's place in the world, we have a panel discussion on how every corporate CEO attending this forum has already sold or is seeking to sell their corporate soul for access to China's lucrative market, democratic principles, let alone genocide against the Uyghurs. Be damned. Seriously, though, this World Economic Forum has never had any redeeming value. Nothing exposed this fact, quite like The Economist magazine marking its 50th anniversary with a podcast episode on January 23, 2020, titled Does the World Need Davos? I submit that, given the two consecutive years of cancellations that have since followed, that episode should serve as its swan song. As it happens, I've been trying to put the final nail in its coffin for over 15 years. 
In fact, with all due respect to the economist, I've written far too many Davos obituaries to count. And, as is so often the case, the title alone to each of those blog commentaries speaks volumes. For example, here are the titles to just five of them. 1. Why all this fuss about the World Economic Forum in Davos? On January 30, 2006. 2. Women finally allowed to speak at Davos on women's issues <laughs> on January 28, 2013. 3. From Washington to Davos, calls to stop rich getting richer, just hot air on January 21, 2015. 4. Financial Times says Davos World Economic Forum is moronic, silly, empty, on February 10, 2016, and 5. Trumpeting hot air. Trump is perfect Davos pitchman, on January 26, 2018. To be fair, the forum did produce some redeeming news in 2019. But that's only because one panelist finally had the balls to call out regular attendees for being a bunch of hypocrites. That interloper was then 30-year-old Dutch historian Rutger Bregman. Indeed, he seemed destined to become as much a prick to the conscience of rich do-gooders as beyond Lomborg has been to that of self-righteous environmentalists. And if you don't know who Lomborg is, you should question how much you know about the politics of climate change. In any event, Bregman became a viral sensation for decrying the hypocrisy of Davos attendees, reveling in hot air about justice, transparency and equality, while conspicuously avoiding the real issue, namely, their shady schemes to avoid paying taxes. My take on his tongue-lashing, then and now, is that the rich engage in a perverse form of double-dipping. Because first they avoid paying millions in taxes, then they use a small percentage of those millions to fund their charitable foundations. The latter is especially insidious, because the rich end up reaping more value in reputational goodwill than the millions they avoided paying in taxes in the first place. Simply put, this is like a fat cat, dining and dashing out on a $500 bill, and then being praised for tipping the valet $50, before driving off in his expensive car. As it happens, though, 
Bregman was only echoing the clarion call liberals, like Senator Elizabeth Warren and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, were already sounding. Not to mention the compelling way, Anand Garid Haradas argues, in Winners Take All, the elite charade of changing the world, that charity is just a way for the rich to assuage their tax avoidance guilt. Even I preempted Bregman by calling out the rich in such commentaries as Only little people pay taxes on April 15, 2006. Leaked Panama Papers affirm more than reveal offshore banking secrets on April 6, 2016 and Paradise Papers out Elizabeth II as tax-dodging queen on November 7, 2017. Unfortunately, our calls have invariably fallen on deaf ears. But, as Bob Dylan might say, the times, they are a-changing. <laughs> because, while The Guardian used the cancellation of this year's forum to mock the self-indulgent rich folks who usually attend, a group of 100 millionaires and billionaires used it to write an open letter to world leaders pleading to be taxed more. Granted, they were probably motivated more by fear for their lives than by tax avoidance guilt. Because here, courtesy of a Fortune magazine, is how their letter, dated January 17, read in part, and I quote, the injustice baked into the foundation of the international tax system has created a colossal lack of trust between the people of the world and the elites who are the architects of this system. To put it simply, restoring trust requires taxing the rich. The world, every country in it, must demand the rich pay their fair share. Tax us, the rich, and tax us now. If you don't, then all the private talks won't change what's coming. It's taxes or pitchforks. Let's listen to history and choose wisely. End quote. And, for the record, they are clearly thinking more French or Russian revolution than anything America has ever experienced. But the fears of millionaires and billionaires aside, taxing them, as they are now begging for, could help pay for things like universal health care, 
free education, and improved infrastructure. And the categorical imperative for doing so has never been more warranted. Apropos of which, nothing is more unconscionable, and therefore a reason to fear pitchforks, than the signature legislative achievement of the Trump presidency, being tax reform that burdened the poor, to give the rich a $1 trillion tax cut. This juxtaposed with the signature legislative failure of the Biden presidency to date, being build back better that, among other provisions for the general welfare, was to provide for better health care, housing, and early childhood education for the poor. I am all too mindful, however, that this trend of the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer is as old as the common cold, which is why, notwithstanding the rich begging to be taxed, I fear scientists will find a cure for that cold before politicians enact policies to redress this trend. In the meantime, though, I hail folk heroes like Bregman for entering the lion's den that is Davos and calling out the rich. I especially like that he echoed one of my pet peeves by noting the bewildering irony of attendees flying in on more than 1,500 private jets. After all, the keynote speaker at the forum that year was none other than acclaimed natural historian Sir David Attenborough, who regaled them with lamentations about the environmental damage humans are inflicting on our planet. <laughs> no shit. I mean, how rich and utterly clueless is that? But here's how I preempted Bregman twelve years earlier. In Attendees Emit More CO2 Than Solutions at World Economic Forum on January 29, 2007. And I quote, To hear these rich folks lamenting about the depletion of the ozone, the increasing gap between haves and have-nots, and the almost criminal waste of non-renewable energy. You'd think they all jet-pooled to Davos on ethanol-fueled airplanes. But no, they all flew in on gas-guzzling, air-polluting private jets. End quote. Apropos of which, perhaps I should explain that the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland, is an annual event at which corporate titans, international bankers, 
world leaders, and a smattering of celebrity do-gooders gather to bloviate about the impact of world developments on their respective businesses, personal wealth, and collective conscience. Politicians and celebrities change from year to year, but the regulars are invariably the same CEOs, investors, and managers who represent the world's super-rich. The forum is promoted as impartial and not-for-profit and tied to no political, partisan or national interest. But movers and shakers know the reason an invitation to this retreat is so coveted is that it's a rare and rarefied opportunity to see and to be seen schmoozing with the people who really rule the world. And the PR value of such images alone is priceless. Of course, attendees would like us to believe that the forum is all about addressing world economic problems that affect our lives. That's why the most talked about feature is not the main event schmoozefest for business opportunities. Rather, it's the undercard gabfest for charitable causes, at which invited guests sit on panels and blow hot air on issues like climate change and the chronic plight of the poor. That said, I clearly have cause to be more mindful than anyone that talk of the death of this World Economic Forum might be premature. But two abiding grievances have fueled my wishful thinking. Because the patronizing regard attendees show for the poor has always been matched by the condescending regard they show for women. Hence the January 2013 commentary I cited earlier about the forum finally allowing women to speak <laughs> on women's issues. Regular readers of my blog know of my belief or hope that the more women participate in discussions in government cabinet rooms and corporate boardrooms, the more constructive they will be. I can cite in this regard such commentaries as Women make better politicians than men from October 14, 2010 Lagarde to replace Strauss-Kahn at IMF from June 16, 2011 and Given the mess men have made of fighting wars, women can hardly do worse. From January 26, 2013. So, if this forum rises in Davos again, here's two women playing a more equal role. But even if not, here's two women replacing men in positions of power more and more, 
in every facet of public life. Uh, that's it. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. If you'd like to contact me, I invite you to email anthonyhall279 at gmail.com or use the contact feature on my blog at www.ipjn.com. Thank you for listening, and until the next Talking Opinions, goodbye.